Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for the first Sunday in Advent in year B. We're starting a new church year, a new lectionary year today, and uh, and a new series as well. So glad to have you with us. Uh, just one note, it, today's readings will be the primary readings for Advent 1 in year B. Uh, that's because we use the primary readings for the last Sunday of the church year in year A, last week. So that's kind of how it's designed to use either the first option, which we're doing, or if you did Christ the King uh, last week, then you're probably going to be using the alternate reading also this week for Advent 1. But we're going to be using the primary set of readings um, as we did last week. So just noting that that's how the Christian worship lectionary is designed to work. Uh, Let me introduce, before we get any farther, our participants for today uh, with us for this series. Pastor Nathan Beagie from Victory of the Lamb Lutheran Church in Katy, Texas, and Pastor Caleb Shanick from Beautiful Savior Lutheran Church in College Station, Texas. Also with us today, uh, Pastor James Tiefel from Trinity and St. John's in Mequon, Wisconsin. So thank you all for participating today, and Nate and Caleb for uh, helping out with this series and the upcoming one for the Christmas season as well. Uh, Caleb, let's start with you. Uh, the first Sunday in Advent, the first Sunday of this new series, what is the main thought that you want worshipers to be thinking about this Sunday? What, a, what an opportunity to start things off, the beginning of the church year, uh, kind of a, a new season just uh, in our lives, present day, it's the holiday season. Um, and boy, just all the distractions of that, what better reason to, to get our focus and our thoughts straight uh, on who our God is, who our King is. So, uh, so God is our King. Jesus is our King, and he's, he's coming. Um, and, and as you think about him coming, what is that like is a, is a fascinating question. But perhaps a greater question isn't the what, but the why. The king is coming. He's coming to save. When we know his purpose, we have purpose for our life. When we know why he's coming and that he loves us, there's reason for us to respond with love as well. So while at the same time that it's beneficial to know why he came, it's also helpful to consider what his coming was like, is like, and will be like. It's helpful to know what it's going to be like because so often we lose sight of the fact that it is actually coming. So Advent is a time for us to, uh, to recalibrate and, and say, let's not forget that the most important thing isn't to make it through this day or to get through uh, what challenge is facing me next. The most important thing is that Christ has overcome all challenges and that he's coming. Uh, let, let's, let's not forget that. So uh, when you think of past, present, and future, Jesus has come, he continues to come, and he is coming again. Um, it, it really is an opportunity to reflect on how God makes an entrance into this world um, and in, in reflecting on how God makes an entrance um, is really to do nothing more or nothing less than to reflect on how God always reveals himself 
and that's through law and gospel. Uh, Advent is a time to simply let law and gospel do its job. And so as we put those thoughts together, um, this Sunday is a great opportunity to, to help us see that this is a new start. Um, it's a start where the king is coming. He comes to save us, and Jesus is the one who has come. Yeah, thanks for that summary. Um, and I could remind uh, listeners also that you can read more about the current series on the foundation resources, wellscongregationalservices.net. Uh, that might be obvious. You might have done that already, but um, that's giving you more information and nice ready-made um, things that you can print or adapt for your uh, own uh, outreach purposes or worship folder purposes. But thanks for that summary, Caleb. Uh, Nate, let's go to you next. We will be thinking about the gospel for the day as our sermon text. But before we get to that, could you remind us uh, what the first reading and the second reading are this Sunday and maybe how they're connected to the gospel of the day? Yeah, sure. Be glad to do that. So the, the first reading is Isaiah 64. And how does the king come? Well, the, the verse there, Isaiah 64, one starts with, oh, that you would Rend the heavens and come down. God, I wish you would just rip open the clouds and come down and make it happen. Um, make the mountains tremble. Set twigs ablaze with your holy fire and cause all these enemies that are clearly running wild to tremble and quake and, and show them who's boss. Would you please rip open the heavens and do that? And then Isaiah goes on to then humbly say, wait a second, all of us are like the one who's unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Maybe that wouldn't be such a exciting day to cross our arms and sit back and watch if God ripped open the heavens and came down and, and uh, let his holy wrath and, and fire be known. And so the end of the text is, Lord, we're the clay, you're the potter, you're calling the shots, we are the work of your hand. And so when you come, you get to decide when and how, and, and um, we're, we're just here to watch and listen, really. Then the, the second reading is 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9, or 4 through 9, sorry. And that talks about how God's grace is sufficient. The king comes, and, and he comes with grace, and it's sufficient for everything. The Corinthians, of course, were kind of Paul's, problem congregation, and, and that comes up later in the, the book in, in a few different ways, one of them being an argument over spiritual gifts and, and a lot of jealousy and pride mixed in there. And so right here in 1 Corinthians 1, the king comes, and he comes with his grace, and that grace is sufficient in every way. All kinds of speech, all knowledge, Greeks appreciated both oratory and wisdom and we have an abundance of both in Christ because he's all sufficient. And we, we lack no spiritual gift that, of course, would be a theme that Paul will expound on in chapter 12. That the king comes, he comes with grace, it's all sufficient. God is faithful, and that's why we are confident that, that we will stand firm to the end because the king is coming with grace that, that is all sufficient. Thank you. Yeah, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul mentions there, so the, the coming of our King in his final advent. Uh, let's go then to our sermon text, which is Mark 
11 verses 1 through 10. And uh, just a reminder that the design of the podcast is not to replace a text study, but the assumption is that preachers will have done their own text study by this point. Um, that's the way kind of the, the podcast, I think, works best after you've done that study, helping you kind of think through some of the, the parts of the text. Um, so assuming guys have done their text study at this point, let's go to Jim Tiefel uh, to just highlight some points in the text or how he is approaching uh, preaching this text. Jim? Well, the, the proposal of the text is pretty straightforward, what we used to call the propositional sentence that Jesus, who is the gentle, humble king, enters Jerusalem, and he does that to the acclaim of his people. So there are really two main things going on in this text. First of all, in verses 1 to 6, he's demonstrating the realities of his kingship and his kingdom. And then in verses 7 to 11, we're seeing how the crowds acclaim Jesus as king and messiah. And it's kind of interesting to see what happens in verse 11, and I'll talk more about that later, that by the time Jesus walks past the temple, the crowd seemed to have dissipated. But some of the main points in the, um, in the text of vision, by the time Jesus entered into Jerusalem, a donkey was considered to be a beast of burden. A thousand years earlier in the time of David, the donkey would have had no more, more nobility. And one wonders if Zechariah understood that as he wrote the prophecy in chapter 9, verse 9, but more on that later. So Jesus enters under the guise of humility, but under that guise of humility, we see a number of things. We see his decision to enter on a donkey and not to walk as would have been normal. We see his determination to fulfill prophecy from a couple of places. We see his acute sense of timing that he knew exactly when he wanted to die and no plans of the Jewish leadership was going to change that. He knew exactly where the donkeys were going to be. He knew exactly how the people would react when the disciples went to borrow them. So underneath this guise of humility, Jesus demonstrates his omniscience and his kingship. And he also demonstrates what his kingdom is like, that underneath the guise of humility, um, he carries out the plan to save. And underneath the guise of humility, the church in word and sacrament brings souls to Christ and to faith. So I think that takes care of a whole bunch of the, the first part of the text. I guess I'm going to have to be honest in verses 7 to 11, I'm not quite as enamored of the response of the people as some of the commentators are. Um, John tells us in chapter 12, when he recounts the entry into Jerusalem, that even, even the 12 didn't understand the connection of the Zechariah prophecy to Jesus. The other thing is, is that by this time, the whole concept of Messiahship in the land of Israel was pretty skewed. Um, they tended to think of 
Messiah not only in a spiritual sense, but also in a political sense. Palm Sunday was the beginning of Passover week. The, the sense of nationalism was strong in Jerusalem. And they may have welcomed any prophet entering into the city with this kind of enthusiastic and emotional response. Who knows how many of them would have connected Zechariah to this man riding on a donkey? I'm sure there were some, but I'm not so sure the whole crowd was going bananas over Jesus, the suffering savior. Um, that doesn't seem to be their point. So I, I think that you have to be careful that you don't make Jesus too humble in part of the sermon, and you don't make that crowd too faithful in the second part of the sermon. And that gives us some opportunities to be able to, to think how to treat this text in a, in a practical way in a congregation. I'm gonna do something now, and I, I prepared Nathan and Caleb for this, and, and that is I wanna spend some time talking about the choice of this text on the first Sunday of the new church year. And for some of you, this is the return to class because I used to talk mm -hmm. about this in class. Um, by the seventh century, Advent was established as the beginning of the new church year. By the eighth century, Charlemagne's religious advisors had chosen the Matthew account of the entry into Jerusalem as the gospel for the first Sunday in the new church year. They did this not with chronology in mind, but they did this with symbolism in mind, that Jesus is coming among us as king in the new church year. Someplace in the middle of in the Middle Ages, the Roman Church moved the Gospels for Advent 2, 3, and 4 up by one Sunday, so that the first Sunday of the church year in the Roman calendar in the Middle Ages was Luke 21, 25 to 33, which is an eschatological text. So that became the beginning of the church year and replaced the Matthew, um, the Palm Sunday account. There's some reasons why they did that, but it's not important for this podcast. When the, when the Reformation came, the Lutherans went back to Palm Sunday, and we see evidences of the Lutheran lectionary retaining Matthew 21 as the gospel for the first Sunday in Advent. I remember that as a kid. I remember my dad preaching about that. But when the, when the Roman lectionary came out in 69, it retained that progression of eschatological gospel on the first Sunday in Advent and did not return to the entry. The ILCW, Interlutheran Commission on Worship Lectionary, imitated that progression. But it did list the entry gospel as a commendable alternative. <laughs> the early Lutheran hymnals, Lutheran Book of Worship, Lutheran Worship, retained that. They selected the eschatological gospels, but they retained the option of the entry gospels. But when Christian worship came out, and when Christian worship supplement came out, and when Christian worship manual came out, there's no mention of the Palm Sunday entry. So since the 70s, Wells preachers have really not thought too much about the entry gospel. 
on the first Sunday of the church year, unless they were using the historic series, where the historic series retains Matthew 21. So I, I think that there is some, well, let me say this. Then when, um, when the Missouri Synod came out in 206, and now with the Wisconsin Synod in 2021, the, the entry gospel goes back to the first Sunday of the church here, which is where it was historically. And, and so I think that there's value in approaching it from that perspective, not only because of what it says and what it does, but also because this is new to us. Um, most of you who are listening to this have not entertained the idea of preaching on the entry on the first Sunday of the church here, unless you've been into the, the new lectionary for a while already. So I, I think there's value to think of it from that perspective. So when, when I approach this text, I'm sorry for taking up so much time. No, no, that's right. When I, when I approach this text, I do it from the perspective of the church here. Um, I think in the first part, when you talk about Jesus entering Jerusalem under the guise of humility, but beneath that humility is his power. I think there are applications there that in the word and the sacrament, we see nothing but weakness in the repetition of the stories Sunday after Sunday that we've all heard before, in the songs and in the hymns that we sing, which we've, which we've all sung before, and we get tired of them. That, that there is the power of the kingdom, that there, there Christ is involved in the kingdom and he is changing hearts and working miracles and, and doing things that we can't even see. In the second part, where we talk about the reaction of the people, I, I, I think I would be ready to identify the difficulty in assessing their praise and then encouraging the members of the, of, that, that are hearing me to assess their praise that is there more here than just enthusiasm? Is there more here than just excitement? And as soon as the enthusiasm and the excitement is gone, well, then faith begins to weaken. And I think in, in the day and age that we live in, and I think this is especially true of people who live in the media age that we do, unless there is something spectacular, and I think we see this as megachurch movement, unless there is something that is spectacular, we tend to lose interest fairly quickly. So my, my theme for this sermon, and I, I certainly welcome other ideas, is King Jesus leads us into a new church here. We identify the characteristics of his kingship, and we assess the characteristics of our praise. And I think that enables us to preach this text in the context of the church here. So that's kind of where I'm going with this. And, and I'm certainly welcoming any other concepts that anybody else might have. I think the structure, the basic structure is going to stay the same, mm -hmm. but the approach might be different. Right. The two main sections of the text are, are fairly evident. Um, just a quick comment. You mentioned how the 1993 hymnal went away from this reading of the triumphal entry for the first Sunday uh, of the Advent season. The only clue that remained were uh, hymns uh, for the Advent season, yes. you know, where Hosanna uh, right. pops up quite a few times. And and that was maybe always kind of a mystery, but uh, this is why, you know, th those hymns contain those words and the references to this account 
Um, so now maybe you're bringing those things back together again, um, some of the Palm Sunday language in these Advent hymns. Well, even the, even the supplement came up with a couple of new hymns that really stressed the, Jeru the Jerusalem entry. But yeah. nobody read the nobody read the Jerusalem account. Right. right. Hosanna to the Lord. Yeah, that refrain, that Scandinavian hymn. So right. So there are, are uh evidences of that uh, now maybe more clear for worshipers. Um well uh let's open it up to, to Nate and Caleb comments. Uh Caleb. Yeah, uh the structure of the text, simple division, perhaps uh two two parts, the identity of the king, the implications of the king. Um and uh the the start of the church year, um, it all it, it all makes sense. I, I I do just want to slow down for a second and say, um, it let's just recognize preaching on Palm Sunday, meaning the content of Palm Sunday on the first Sunday in December, feels uh, chronologically out of order. And so, um, the thematic uh, the textual um, point here, I think, is is good and clear, but uh, I, I don't know. I think sometimes it's just maybe I'm the only one that uh, when we used to be preaching the end times, um, Christ the King and Christ crucified on the cross always felt like a little bit of a strange text right in the middle of, of November. Um, this can feel a little bit, uh, why are we talking about Palm Sunday on the first, uh, first Sunday of December? So I, I just want to recognize that and not to depart from it, but just to say, you know, if we have something to offer to help focus people's hearts and thoughts on what really is the one thing needed, um, you know, it, it it's it's good, but it is chronologically out of order. Right. You got to explain it. I mean, you just yep. have to explain it to them. I like how you did it before, Caleb, just by saying, as we start out this kind of new cycle um, or even a new season, um, let's focus on the king who comes to us. Um put our eyes on Jesus and what he has come to do for us. Um, so the king comes, the king comes to save. So I think that's maybe even for people unacquainted with this, or why is it out of order? Just that concept, I think, is a simple one. Well, let's focus on the king today as we start out this new season and this new uh, church year. Um, uh, further thoughts on um, kind of law and gospel themes in this text. Um, I know Jim uh, hinted at some. Uh, as he referred to the reason why the king comes, um, the prophecy fulfillment, the crowd, uh, and the confusion of the crowd that's there. But other thoughts in terms of uh, preaching the law from this text or ideas? Uh, Nate? Yeah, I think um, the, the, the repeating theme throughout the text for me, at least this time through, was noticing Jesus' omniscience. And so the, the thought that I would keep emphasizing in my sermon is going to be something about that, that, that um, hundreds of years in advance, Zechariah prophecy, Jesus knew exactly what was coming. And then all the omniscience involved with lining up the donkey and even what to say when the owners asked, what are you doing? The omniscience of what was coming up later that week, the omniscience of Easter and Ascension and even Judgment Day that, that hasn't happened yet, of course, all, all that omniscience. So then the law specifically that, that I'm thinking about here would be, why don't I trust that? 
what what is it within my sinful nature that that thinks I know more than God or that doesn't trust what God knows or what God is going to do with what he knows. Um, I know more than God. I taunt the Bible. I, I um, really think that I know better how to control things going forward in the world than he does. And, and all, all of that pride involved as well as the, side of God's omniscience that that brings fear into my heart like the Isaiah reading God's going to rip open the heavens and come down and, and make everybody tremble who is sinful and and I don't really want him to notice me so I'm going to go take my sin and hide over here and uh, the quiet thoughts within my heart that that um, think that I know more about about things in general than God does and I have a better plan for how life should go than he does all of that, I would say, would be the malady I would focus on, the, the opposite of trusting Jesus' omniscience. Okay, okay. Caleb? The, um, the, the contemplation of how God comes, how God makes an arrival, um, it, it really is, I don't think, any different than how God reveals himself at any given time. So it forces us back to law and gospel. Uh, just like the Isaiah reading has both this uh, terrifying and mesmerizing aspect to uh, to God's entrance, uh, as Isaiah was depicting it there. Uh, so, so also this text you've got um, God, God coming. Christ the King is is coming in there, and so there's a, a new man inside of me that wants to say Hosanna as an expression of praise. And yet at the same time, there's this old self that says, hold on a minute. There's not a lot of reasons to praise. There, there are a lot of concerns in my life. Um, the, the longer I think I've been in the ministry, the more I realize how wonderful I had it and not how wonderful everyone has it with family being just a difficult issue to deal with loneliness at the holidays so on and like that, like, like that. So, yeah, not Hosanna, but hold on. Um, this there there are reasons not to give praise to God. The old self says, and so so as as one who handles God's word, I have to ask the question that says, "Is my concept of the king skewed?" Mm -hmm. And I think that plays into the the uh, characteristic of the crowd and just sorting through what exactly they they were thinking and what they meant when they said what they did. But uh, um, is, is my concept of the king skewed? He's coming. He's making an entrance. Um, what does that mean for me? Um, hold on a second. Right. I don't know that I want him to come right now. Okay, then. Uh, good thoughts. Yeah, bringing out the, the malady of the text. Um, what about then the counter? point to that, the gospel emphases that you would draw from. So Nate, would you go back to kind of that idea of omniscience also for uh, the gospel um, content of the sermon, or, or would you take it a different direction? No, I, I think I probably would. If my main theme is drawing out all the omniscience thoughts about the text in, in this round, I mean, you can preach five, six or more different sermons on this text. So um, there, there's a variety, I guess, but 
But uh, the omniscient side of Christ's gospel, th this was not iffy. It wasn't an accident that he came into Jerusalem at this time in this way. And, and uh, Zechariah, of course, as well as lots of other prophecies make, make that clear. Um, nobody enjoys a know-it-all, but yet we can enjoy Jesus being a know-it-all in a sense because mm -hmm. he isn't arrogant with that. He's, he's humble. He's gentle. He's on our side. He's giving up everything. He's persistent. He's resilient. He, he simply will not ever be derailed or, or um, he won't back off. No matter what we do, no matter what anyone does or says or thinks, he will rip open the heavens, come down riding on a donkey, knowing it ends with the cross, but then also the empty tomb. And so uh, the resilient side, I guess, of Jesus and his omniscience, the, the, that, that's what I see when I see him on the donkey is this resilient, loving, tough love, powerful, persistent, will not be derailed king who is coming. Yeah. Determined to save and using his omniscience for our sake, right? For to, to plan out and carry out um, our rescue, the king who comes to save. Um, yeah, further thoughts. I'll kind of open it up to uh, thoughts on um, applications or um, thinking about how to connect different parts of the sermon to the lives of your hearers. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Some directions you're thinking about going at this point. Um, and I, so some we've touched on already, but but go ahead and uh, reiterate things or add new thoughts, Caleb. Yeah, sorry if I take just a little bit of a step backwards here, just to add another gospel thought before. Oh yeah, yeah, please do. Please, do. I was in fact I was I meant to come back to you to give you a chance to preach the gospel as well as the law. Sorry, I skipped over you there. <laughs> I think in my junior year sermon, I actually forgot the gospel paragraph. But yeah, uh, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Um, John 12, 16 is fascinating. Um, it really does say, this is hard to break down what the crowd's response was, because even the disciples didn't fully understand it. But the man who's making that statement, recording it for us in scripture, um, was one of the disciples. And by the time he wrote this, he did understand it. A and so... As John is pen in hand writing these words, he maybe didn't realize it at the time, but he knew it at the time when he was writing it. And what he was writing were these hosannas. And you, you hear that word save, and you know, maybe, maybe John's repenting that he didn't understand it at the time, but now when he's writing in it for us today, and aren't we in that same position? We weren't there, obviously, but We've been there where we don't understand it. By God's grace, the gospel comes. We do understand it. We hear this word, Hosanna. And, you know, you, you, you find that footnote in your Bible, and, and, and I think in all of the proper commentary, it comments on, on Hosanna too. And, and there's a shift, right? The word at its basic meaning is save question mark. But when we read it and when we sing it at this time of year, it's save exclamation point. Um, you know, not please save us, but we're saved, an expression of, of praise. And so, um, you know, gospel thought, Hosanna, we're saved. We are forgiven. I mean, it, those, those, those thoughts are just right next to each other as you go through that. 
So uh, not saved question mark, but saved exclamation point. Jesus is the one because he kept all the promises, active obedience. Uh, Jesus is the one because he kept on loving us even when we weren't lovable. Um, so just, just some gospel thoughts, I think, that go along with that to say, who is this king that it's the king that came to save us? He's the one stood with God's blessings. Great. So, yeah, Caleb, I notice you're kind of using that Hosanna as sort of a through line in the sermon. Uh, first part, Hosanna or hold on, and then uh, Hosanna exclamation point um, for the gospel section. So, uh, yeah, and that's what we talk about when we say textually textually specific ways of expressing law and gospel. So that's one great example of that. Um, any further thoughts then on uh, law gospel application, uh, Jim? I haven't gotten into um, the new commentary on year B yet, but I worked my way through the commentary on year A. And John Schrader has an excellent paragraph uh, as he introduces the third Sunday in Advent. He says, mankind once a bespoke Messiah. Israel invented a political spiritual Messiah. Talks about that. Um, the generic Christian of today wants a Messiah who is a good teacher, a philosopher, talks about that. But then he says, faithful Christians face the temptation of a made-to-order Messiah, too. We want a Messiah who isn't bothered by the sin that keeps cropping up in our life. A Messiah who doesn't call for total dedication, but a more relaxed association with him. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think that identifies what, what we all kind of face. And that is, as saint and sinner, we are, we are besieged by the idea that when we come to worship, nothing very big is happening there. And I think to identify that as law in, the first, in my first concept of the sermon, and then to identify the miracle that takes place when word and sacrament are used, when the story of Jesus is retold, I used to say in class, you stand at the sacristy door with a gigantic wow in your heart, and you realize the miracles that are going to take place. I think that's that's really good gospel. In the in, as you assess the people's praise, to to recognize that we fall into traps, and and um, and that there's an we fall into traps with enthusiastic thinking, or. Um, emotional thinking when we approach worship, but but the gospel the, the gospel is that that Jesus then changes our hearts. Like Caleb said, John came to understand the reality of those prophecies. That our our minds and our hearts change at, when the Spirit works in us. So I think if you approach it from the churchier perspective, you do have a good opportunity. To talk about law and gospel in both parts of that that approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so focus on yeah the king coming to us now, um, and how we might the sinful nature in us might want to just push that away uh, because we prefer something different. But saying that the king comes regardless uh, in these humble forms, but he comes to save as only he can. Um, great. Uh, other thoughts. Uh, on uh, illustrations you're using, applications, um, further things that might uh, give preachers an idea. Nate? I keep thinking about, as, as King Jesus, knowing everything, 
rode into town anyways, determined to serve. Can I ride into a room where, with tension in the air, determined to serve in love rather than uh, lose my cool or, or just simply avoid the whole sticky situation? As, as King Jesus has the inside scoop on the, the long-term picture, th those who believe in him will be saved. Can I move forward in my life having that inside scoop driving everything and, and then not being proud and not being timid or despairing, but, but uh, confidently humble striding forward with, with King Jesus who knows everything going before me, going behind me, being within me, that, that co humble confidence, I guess, de determined to live in the humble confidence he provides is the application, the, the, the big application that, that I keep thinking about with these words. Okay, good idea. Any further ideas, Caleb? There seems to be, um, appropriately for the beginning of the church year too, a, a, maybe hinting at something here that we're in this together. Um, you know, so like here comes the king and it, it's not just a king for me, but it's a king for, for all people king received by faith and um i i just i was really uh in my studies i i jumped into psalm 118 just a little bit more where where um that quotation comes from and and when you look at the all four gospels not just the synoptics and and just line up the different statements of hosanna that's made by by the people um, Mark provides us an opportunity uh, to see one that's not like the others. Um, Mark is the only one that mentions the kingdom. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. And um, when, you, when you go back and you look at Psalm 118, um, that's, that's just fun to think through the options there uh, of how it can be considered or not how it can be considered, but that it is messianic, messianic and that it can be translated, yeah. not just he who comes, but the coming one. Right. Um, and, uh, and so the second half of that verse, so we're still in parallel construction here, is fascinating because um, it, it, it goes on to say, from the house of the Lord, we bless you. That's the second half of Psalm 18, 20, 118, verse 26. And the you there is plural, so the you uh, would not appropriately be referring to the, the coming one, the Messiah. And so there's, there's a corporate sense here in Psalm 118. Um, Mark uses the word kingdom. That by implication is not just one person, but we're in this together. At the start of a church year, what, uh, what about saying, you know, this is what we're doing all across Christendom. We're, we're recognizing the coming of the king. We're, we're in this together. So an application there, a, a little bit of we're part of the kingdom. We are in his kingdom. Um, we are in his kingdom um, because he came. Uh, we continue to be in his kingdom as uh, the gospel through word and sacrament continues to come to us. And we will be in his kingdom forever. Uh, so just 
a thought that I had connected with Psalm 118 and, and the unique aspect of kingdom being mentioned here in Mark. Okay, great. Jim? Yeah, I think you got to be careful that you don't try to do too much in this sermon. Um, <clears throat> I don't disagree with what you said about the kingdom, but but isn't the, the concept of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God really an emphasis more on the activity of Christ to save than it is on a gathering of believers? And, and I, I think that the... the the gospel proclamation that the kingdom is coming emphasizes that the kingdom, that the activity of Christ is coming. Now, certainly it comes to all people, um, but I think, I think there is the emphasis. And I think, and I think in the, the preaching of this text, whenever we get to the concept of king or kingdom, the focus has to be on, on what the activity is. Even Nate's point about omniscience, um, omniscience is just part of the kingdom, of the coming of the kingdom. Um, even, as the, even as the crowd reacts to Jesus, they are not reacting to him as savior. They are reacting to him as Messiah, which in, in their understanding were two different things. So I think you have to, you have, I think the preacher has to focus on the idea that Jesus is coming to save, which is what the theme of the Sunday is. And I'm not disagreeing with anything anybody else said, but I mean, I think that's the main, that's the main concept. Right. Retaining that, that central focus on Jesus and his action and then yeah, building off of that. Uh, all right. Any further thoughts or comments? Uh, if not, we'll wrap up for today, but preachers, God bless you as you focus your attention, and then your listeners' attention on the King who is coming to save.